You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Nick Gallo and he is the chief servant, which I love the title. I absolutely love the title and co-CEO of the nation's leading provider of outsourced ethics, compliance and HR services. And the nation is the US and the company is Compliance Line. He gets to drive the culture of the company he has been entrusted with and creates a unique company flavor that distinguishes it from the others. Nick helps create an environment that makes people feel safe, included, and valued, and multiplies their impact by helping their clients do the same thing. Hello, Nick. How are you? Hello, Andre. Thank you so much for uh, having me. I'm so glad to be here. And uh, I couldn't have put any of that stuff better myself, so appreciate that introduction. Well, I am really glad to hear that. And besides that, do you want to add anything more to it? No, I'm just uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I love this podcast. I'm excited to kind of get into this thing that I love more than anything, which is leadership and culture and people. And uh, yeah, just uh, excited to dive in. Perfect. And I'm really curious about your stories. And I, I'm even going to let you choose. Do you want to start with the success story or the failure story? In what direction do you want? In what order? Um, I'm down for, uh, for whatever I, uh, maybe we should talk about a failure. Maybe that's a good yes. one. Let's start with the failure story. So what is it? What is the biggest leadership failure that you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? Um, I used to work in a situation where the leader was someone I learned a lot from, but it was all like the bad things, you know, like this. Yeah, exactly. So it was a situation where, you know, everyone is an idiot. No one's as smart as I am. You know, if you, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. You know, that kind of stuff, double, triple checking everything from everybody else. And what it ended up creating was really a culture of fear. uh, One that really stamped out any opportunity for synergy. You know, everyone's different. Everybody has a different perspective, assuming that your hiring process is at least passable. You're going to have relatively smart people in the mix or yes. sitting around the table. So, you know, what I saw was management and leadership techniques that were stamping out and creating a fog of fear that people were trying to kind of navigate through. And it ended up leading to a lot of waste, a lot of inefficiency, and a lot of people looking for another job. And what did you learn from that experience? I think I learned from that experience, like what not to do, you know? Okay. Uh, I think that in general, people want to leave the world a better place than they found it. I think in general, people are looking for uh, a purpose that will resonate with their own internal why or their own internal purpose. And if you can find people who are like-minded and find people whose purpose resonates with your organization's purpose, you really just have to let them go. You know, you have to unleash them. And that's really where a lot of magic can happen. Obviously, I'm not talking about creating a, a chaotic environment, right? Um, yes. I'm talking about, you know, you obviously need sort of rules and you need compliance and you need, you know, a game plan and so forth. But the worst thing I think you can do is create an environment that stamps out that natural ownership that people want to have for whatever they're, they're a part of. And th- that's a great way of putting natural ownership. And I, I say like people, if they, Choose a job, they come with good intentions, they want to do the work, you just have to let them and trust them that they're going to do the work. Now, I'm really curious, like in that uh, environment, was the company successful with 
with the terror <laughs> in the, it in the culture? It really wasn't, man. It wasn't, it really wasn't successful. There was a lot of waste. There was a lot of money wasted. There was a lot of loss. Um, there's a lot of like unnecessary churn. And when a company is in a tough spot, you don't need the crew of the ship changing over in the middle of the storm. I mean, it just yes. it makes it worse and worse. Right. So um, there was a lot of that stuff that, that that brought on. And those are all kind of externalities or, you know, uh, exogenous sort of variables that aren't even part of the game that you're playing that get incorporated as a result of the leadership uh, or lack of uh, leadership that that team of, of individuals is, is experiencing. Yeah, Nick, I, I guess like it's like a natural tendency sometimes, like if things don't go well to double down and become check even more and uh, yes. trust even less your people. So in your point of view, after going for that experience, do you think it actually leads the company to to bottom out even faster? I do. I really do. And I think that's a natural tendency to your point that like we all kind of have. Um, but life is very sort of counterintuitive. And sometimes when you feel the desire to hold on tighter, right, and really white knuckle this thing is the time when you have to really let go and let people run with the vision or run with, uh, with the task and let them put those, those gifts they have to work in pursuit of that collective mission. Yeah, and that's a hard thing you have to do as a leader because if what you're doing clearly isn't bringing you the results you want, try doing like the 180 and do the go in the other direction and see what happens. Do yeah, the and then also, thing. and I think to your point, it always starts with us as leaders. Like the first person you have to look to if something's not working is yourself. Like, okay, yes. am I not providing the right guidance? Am I creating the wrong environment? Am I sending mixed signals to people? Am I sapping people instead of zapping them? You know what I'm saying? Am I sucking the life out of people? Um, you have to look to yourself first, but many times I think leaders fall into this thing called CEO's disease where they have no <laughs> idea what they look like. They have no idea. You know, you start to lose touch and you start to lose some self-awareness if you're not careful, if you're not constantly trying to tune into it, if you're not surrounding your people, if you're not surrounding yourself with people who have, you know, the ability to be radically candid with you to say, you know what, you really, you know, you suck the life out of the room in that meeting or that guidance you provided, nobody knows what to do with it and they're all too scared to even say anything. You know, if you can have those feedback loops in place, the odds of you falling into that CEO's disease, you know, situation are obviously lower. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you as a leader, making sure that you're looking in the mirror, you're starting with yourself and seeing what am I doing to contribute to us not hitting our number or us not achieving our goal, you know? Oh, yes. And, and that's really important. And if you create a culture of fear, like you said, it was in that example, nobody's going to give you feedback, like true feedback. They're going to Correct. be too afraid to do it because yeah, they're looking they're, for a job and they don't want to lose this job before they find the next one. You got it. You got it. They're worried about, you know, paying, paying for their bills, paying for their mortgage, yes. you know what I'm saying? Providing for their family in whatever capacity that they're, uh, they're doing it. That's the first thing they're responding to, you know? So that's a great point. Yeah. And now moving on, I'm really curious, what is the biggest leadership success story you've witnessed personally? The biggest leadership success um, is something that happened in our call center. So we operate a 24-7 whistleblower hotline. That's one of the business lines that we offer that allows organizations, you know, large organizations, complex organizations with thousands and thousands of people to have a single repository for people to raise their hand if they see something wrong. Um you know, to speak up and to 
fix the problem Great for the company, service. right? Yeah, exactly. So um, when we, when my brother and I came to Compliance Line, um, this was a very kind of owner-centric organization, kind of a CEO-centric yes. organization, and all the thinking and leadership was done from like one seat. Um, from our view on what it takes to grow a great company, you have to distribute out that authority and you have to distribute out that leadership so that more people can be empowered and the organization has a better chance to you know, scale on a, on a sustainable basis. So what I witnessed firsthand was a group of people who were managers uh, in name only Yes. Um, elevate over a period of about 18 to 24 months to be really just phenomenal leaders of our culture and phenomenal awesome. leaders within our business. And the nice thing about it is that like they were not being Nick, you know, they weren't being me. It wasn't me telling them what to do. It was simply them sort of, you know, it was simply us taking these potted plants that had been, you know, growing in a closet and putting them on the windowsill to, sill to get some sunlight and it's kind of a lot of what you're talking about, just giving people some, some support, giving them some, um, some empo you know, empowering them, giving them some actual authority. It's amazing what, what they'll do. And I saw them totally outperform my expectations. I saw them create a culture in our, in our, in our business, you know, for this aspect of our business that's really special, that's really distinct. And it's really helped. Yes. I mean, look, the bottom line impact always shows up. That's a, that's a byproduct of a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. So I saw those things, but more importantly, what I saw is I saw some people really come to life and put on this mantle of leadership that I thought they could always, you know, awesome. wear, but then they yeah. actually ended up believing it. And, you know, if you compared these, you know, there's one person in mind that I'm thinking of, if you compared her cool. today or three years ago, you wouldn't even recognize them because oh their God. energy is so different and the impact that they're having is so different. And it was just a matter of unleashing her, you know, taking that governor off the engine and, and letting that race car really run down that road. And could you give like some concrete examples of steps you took to help them turn them from being just managers to leaders? Yeah, it was just like a lot of yelling, some screaming, slamming doors. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, it was, uh, All the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think, I think our job as leaders to some level is to set a vision and to talk yes. about the culture that we want. But you can never drive a culture down on people. You have to own, if it's ever going to be sustainable and real, it has to spring up organically from the ground. It has to spring up from the hearts and minds of the individuals within your team or within your, uh, your organization. So, you know, the specifics, you know, if I could boil the steps down first, it was kind of setting a cultural vision, setting a vision for the organization about, well, what's important for us to compete in our marketplace? What are those values that we want to have, not only from a client perspective, but with each other? And I think once, once those were set, and again, those were not sort of etched in stone and pronounced on high from, you know, me and my brother Giovanni, these were assembled organically from the team and we, we, we made an agreement with each other that these are the values that we want to live out. Those values are slated in, in the context of, of a purpose. Like, what are we doing here? Um, it's very 90s. It's a very 90s mentality to just think, oh, my company's here just to make money and serve the shareholders and so forth. We're a lot more kind of, 
you know, new school in terms of we look at kind of a, tri a triple bottom line. Obviously, profits are important, but we want to have a great yes. experience for our employees as well. We want this to be a, a place that they can put their unique God-given gifts to work in pursuit of their own mission. And we also want to make the client experience something that's really phenomenal, create some raving fans who know with confidence that they can rely on us. So I'm just saying, once we built those, you know, I guess the purpose or our missions, you know, our mission statement, uh, that's yes. kind of the top of the mountain, right? How do we, how we get up that mountain is, is these shared values. And I'm just saying, once those are set, then it's a, then it's just a question of encouragement and confidence in the leaders that you have in place to execute that stuff so that they can recreate what you're trying to create with them with the people that are reporting to them. And so what I'm talking about is a culture of kind of trust, a culture of candor, a culture of love. You know, I know it sounds weird sometimes to say love in a corporate setting, but we're human beings. Yes. Uh, every other relationship we have, like your best friend, there's, there's a love relationship there. Your, your wife, your kids, your family, like all these meaningful relationships in our lives are all built on that sort of human thing of love, right? That's our language to communicate with. Yeah. And yet for some reason that seems to break down as you walk into the doors of an organization that seems to get left in the car in a lot of places. And I'm just saying that it's not a, really that crazy of a word to say because we're all humans. That's that's what our yeah. natural acclimation is. So if you can create that environment and be that example that they can carry forward into their individual teams, the type of values and the type of feelings that you want those those people on the front lines to feel. So again, it's about kind of setting that purpose. Is it an actual purpose that we can live up to? Setting those you know those values, which are really kind of guiding our mission, and then it's about putting people in place and encouraging them. Uh, and leaving that open door policy in place so that they can feel safe in their position as they're sticking their neck out and as they're trying something they haven't done before, they need to feel safe in that seat. Yes. Not that, hey, if I screw up one time, I'm out of here. You know, uh, baseball is a great analogy for this. You know, you can get, you can step to the plate three times and if you get one hit, one out of three, your entire career, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. So yes. that's really a lot closer to what it's like to be a manager, I think. Uh, it's not just screwing up one time and then you're out of here, but Hey, I'm taking a long-term view with you. I am looking for you to grow. I believe that you can be this greater thing. I see something in you that you don't even see in yourself. And if you just trust me and you follow this process, then you're going to impress yourself and you're going to surprise yourself by what you're doing, right? That level of confidence that you're putting in somebody is going to provoke them. Again, if they truly feel safe in the organization, it's going to provoke them to stick their neck out and try some of those things that you believe they can do. I mean, think about when you're helping your kid ride their bike for the first time, right? They don't trust the bike without the, yes. without the, uh, the training wheels, right? But you know, hey, if you just keep pedaling and you keep pushing, this is going to take care of itself. It's that same picture when you're helping someone to stick their neck out and grow from a management perspective. Like the training wheels are off. You have safety. The momentum is going to be just you doing those good things over and over again. It's going to take care of itself. And that's the type of inertia that we as leaders need to create with the people that we're managing. Oh, yeah. And you're absolutely right, Nick. Creating a, a culture where to fail is okay and it's accepted. Uh, as long as you learn from your failures, that's also something you don't have to go like doing the same mistakes each and every day. It's not, it's not, it's not good. But yeah, you don't drown by falling under the water. You drown by staying yes. below the surface. And yes, you don't exactly. fight by hitting the canvas. You stay. You lose the fight by staying on the canvas. So all those failures, as we talk about them, they don't have to be failures if you, to your point, can turn them into lessons. And that cost of, of the mistake can be turned into a tuition payment. That's when the growth can come. But if you're not looking for those things and you're not even opening up the opportunity for people to fail, then you're never going to progress and never going to get better. 
And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, you actually create more valuable em- employees for the company. If you have a person that failed a lot, but learned from each failure, okay. and he has like an experience that he can draw on for the benefit of the company that is superior than anything else you could hire because. Yeah. And you know what, like to that point, man, like true growth only comes through pain. You know, when you're oh, little yes. and you're waking up in the middle of the night, cause your legs hurt cause you're growing, you know, you're, you're shooting up like a sprout over the summer or think about like a block of steel that gets turned in, into a sword. Like there's a lot of effort, a lot of pounding and a lot of malleability of that, of that, you know, that piece of steel that you have to tap into in order to, to transform it. That's that, that block of steel is going through a lot of pain to be turned into that sword. And it takes a lot of friction and it takes a lot of effort. Right. But that's what it takes to, to, to transform something. That is so true. And I really love how you built basically the culture inside the, the company by getting the people working in the company to come off like what culture would you, would we like to have here and embrace it? It's not like top down. It's as you said, like bottom up. You got it. And I'm really curious, like during those meetings, which aren't easy meetings to do, and especially as a leader to sit there and mostly moderate without trying to sway them in a direction uh, or another. How would you have some tips on how to hold meetings where you create, like get the people riled up to create a, like a really positive culture? Yeah, that's a that's a phenomenal question, and you're right. Those are not easy meetings, uh, especially when you're trying to change a culture and do a U-turn yes. with the culture, because there's a lot of habits and behaviors that have settled into the individuals that are in this in this in this room, right? Yes. So you know, for me, uh, or for us, when we were doing this, you know, we were in front of the group and we were saying, you know, what do we want this company to be? This is our company. This is not just Nick and Geo's company. This is all of our company because we come here every day and we work together on, on this mission. What do we want it to be? And it was like crickets. It was just totally quiet. Yes, no one raised their hand. And I was baffled by it because all I ever wanted was someone to, to ask me those kinds of questions. <laughs> so I said as much to everyone. I was like, you know, this is a little bit, you know, I thought everyone would be just kind of talking, you know, I thought everyone would be trying to get a word in, in edgewise. I thought we were going to be opening up the hornet's nest here, you know? And, you know, again, it was crickets for a minute and then somebody kind of raised their hand and they said, you know, we're just not used to doing this. We haven't been asked these kinds of questions mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And that was a real light bulb moment for me because this is a muscle that we're talking about. Yes. And that, that muscle had been atrophied in our workforce when we came and joined the company. So it just takes, to your point, it takes a little bit of effort to try to get people talking and get them going. And it's kind of like, you know, if you see a frozen pond and you want to start walking out on it, you don't just run onto the pond, right? You kind of take some ginger steps on the pond to see if that surface is is sort of frozen through and so forth. So there's a lot of encouragement that needs to be had and, you know, trying to really create a safe space where no one's getting ridiculed for saying something stupid, where you really want to get all the ideas out and we'll sort through the ideas later. And, you know, it was interesting because it... It, we kind of hit a tipping point, right? It was like a, you know, 15 minutes of like pulling teeth to try to get ideas out of people and get them to talk. And then we hit this tipping point where there was a general sort of sigh of relief in the room or the tension had sort of dropped. Oh, yeah. Then we got a ton of participation because like all these questions, the answers to all these questions are literally reside within the individuals in the room. It's just yes. your job as a leader to like drill down deep enough and create enough sort of safety and intellectual safety for them to, trust the process and share what they think. And it was, uh, 
it was a really rewarding process for us to get that kind of engagement and see the level of, of overlap between the individuals in terms of what they wanted their workplace to be. And then again, that just underscores what I was just saying that these answers are largely consistent across in human beings. And you know, if you can just unleash it, you're going to be surprised at the level of thoughtfulness and the level of uh, ownership that people want to bring to the table. Oh yeah. And another thing that I think it would be important, like when you have meetings like this is to convey the message that this is serious. You actually want to do it. It's not like we're pretending to Correct. D define our values in our culture, but everybody knows that nothing is going to change. So it's like a pointless exercise. So right. let's just get it done with and go home. Yeah. And I think you touched on something really important, really important there that speaks to this trust thing, right? Like every strong culture has two, two main components. One is this trust piece, right? This ownership piece, this, hey, this is my home and this is my thing. And the other is this purpose piece, right? The why, why are we here, right? So if you can get both of those right, uh, that's going to allow you to build a much bigger sort of structure, you know, much sort of stronger culture. But my point is that that trust piece, you don't flip a switch and it's like, okay, everybody trusts us. Yes. It's an ongoing process that you have to engage in on, on, an, on an ongoing, ongoing going basis. So, you know, if you go back to that, to that example I was giving when we're in this room and we're doing this offsite, trying to come up with our values for our, our organization. Yes, we had to kind of build some trust right there. That, and that was some short-term micro trust. But there's also a macro trust game that we're also building that's built over months or quarters or maybe maybe even years where people are saying like, okay, we just went off site and we had a nice day and they ordered in lunch and we put a bunch of post-it notes on the wall and did some great brainstorming trust exercise and so <laughs> forth. But are these just yet another page on our website of values that don't really mean anything to your point? Or are they actually something that we pull up off the wall and we live out every day? And I think that, um, you know, it takes time for people to really buy in to, to this thing. And it takes a sort of oh, yeah. uh, an undying commitment from leadership to live those things out, to gain that trust. Because too many leaders, they'll just go through one of these exercises or they'll have a culture initiative and they'll be like, okay, <laughs> on to the next thing. What, what are we doing for sales or something? And what I'm saying oh, is that God. if you're going to engage in the culture thing, that's a new function. That's a new task you got to do on a daily basis. You know what I'm saying? You can't just set it and forget it. You got to live it out every day. And once you can hit that, that trust tipping point, like assuming the purpose statement is real and resonant, then once you hit that trust tipping point for the foundation of your culture, your culture really gets supercharged because it turns into a self-correcting mechanism because it's everybody working to keep this, this fire ablaze. It's not just one person, you know, throwing a bunch of logs on the fire, trying to warm a whole, a whole campfire. Yes, and you're absolutely right. You need to keep working at it and building trust, and you have to be careful. The more trust you build, to every decision is is scrutinized in a way, and you can blow all the trust. You can spend like three years building a massive amount of trust, and people trust you, and they work, and they put their hearts in the company, and you come in like a crisis situation, and you act like revert, revert yep. back to old habits, and it's all that work just evaporates. Yeah, all the work evaporates. And if you think about why it evaporates, is it's a self-preservation, it's some self-preservation psychology yes. going on within the organization. Because to the extent that, that the trust is not achieved initially, there's some reticence to give it. It's because there's no trust exchange without risk. So it's the risk of being let down or the risk of buying into something that's fake or the risk of feeling like a fool. Those are all the things that prevent people from buying into this trust thing. And to your point, if it gets violated, then there, then all those old fears that had been sort of 
cemented over, so to speak, burst right back through the ground. And they say, see, I knew this was too good good to be true. I knew this (laughs) was all chance. I knew this was just like something else. So we as leaders are fighting against um, a tide of a lot of sort of negative experiences most of our workforce have been through at other organizations. And this has been, and this is greater now today than ever before because of the labor mobility, right? Like, think back three generations, the number of companies that a person worked for compared to the number of companies that the average person works for today was way less, right? People change jobs more frequently and so forth. So in that, there's a lot more opportunity for for people to get burned by leadership or step into an organization that's inauthentic or live in a company that has values that are fake. You know what I'm saying? So all those things are what we as leaders who are trying to do something different are fighting against. And we need to keep that in mind so that we can remain consistent to continue to build for the future. Absolutely. And we already touched a little on... um your leadership philosophy so i'm really i really want to if you can like put it in words what would what is your leadership philosophy so my broad leadership philosophy is that um dollars are a byproduct of an organization and an organization is nothing more than a bunch of individuals who agree to show up at the same place every day to pursue to pursue some collective mission And you're never going to have an organization that the world, that the clients, that the marketplace loves if that organization is not full of people that love that organization first. So our philosophy is to put people over profits, to put people, you know, as our main asset in this game. And if people are the main asset, then really the name of our game is making sure that those people are in a position to succeed. So that position to succeed means, you know, tangible things like tools. You got to give them, you know, the investments that they need to execute their their mission or their playbooks or or whatever. But then the psychological piece, that safety piece, that you know, that that more intangible piece is really about creating an environment where they can feel safe and they can feel plugged into and they can get that ownership. So the name of our game is again, how do I? So my leadership philosophy is to really focus on those two foundational elements of a culture. Because a culture is just the collective average sort of behaviors of a group of people, right? So what can we as leaders affect? Well, we can speak into that purpose piece and create a compelling purpose for our organization. Again, it's gotta be authentic. Um, That's gonna resonate with folks. And then we can build that trust piece. And that trust piece comes through vulnerability and it comes through you know inclusivity and it comes through safety and it comes down to Leadership, you know, if you want people to trust your your company, this is something that you said before, then it's on you as a leader to create the circumstances for trust and trust them to execute, right? Like trust them to execute this this game plan. So, you know, if I could boil what I just said down, it's really my leadership philosophy is you need to take a long-term view with folks. You need to be vocal about your values and take those up off the wall and live them out every single day. Yes. Even to an obnoxious level, because you have to say things a thousand times for people to get it and to see if it's actually real and create those circumstances for, for success, right? Create that inclusivity, create that authentic culture that people can plug into. And it can be, um, you know, it can be something special that, that they're a part of and they feel ownership uh, about, you know? Yes. And Nick, I'm really curious because you said like, uh, you're trying like to people over profits. So my point of view is people and profits. Because if a company isn't profitable, you can have like an amazing culture. Of course. Of the course. perfect place to live. But if people, you have to let them go because there are not enough profits, 
it's it, it, it diminishes the, the benefits and it it actually creates a bad impact for the people working there. So I see it like 100%. you work on people to grow them and that grows profits. When profits go up, you invest it in people and it goes from one side to the other, always balancing them out. It's a cycle. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely right. And I mean, you know, we operate a, a for-profit or organization. Like profit is not a dirty word. But I'm just saying that profit is not our God. You understand what I'm saying? Exactly. Like if we do the right things, the money's going to come. You know what I'm saying? If you plant good seeds and you plant a good crop, then you're going to get a good harvest. It's just inevitable. But if you get uber focused on that dollar, that bottom line thing, it can't help but ascend above the people piece and it can't help yes. but ascend above the client piece. And then you have this short term machine that really is not sustainable over the long run. So uh, I would agree with the way you said it. I think that's even a cleaner way to say it than I said. Well, thank you for that. And you also mentioned like uh, showing vulnerability. And I'm, I'm curious, do you as a leader find it, it helps to show that as like being in, in top management, showing that I make mistakes, I'm vulnerable, I'm, I'm not like uh, all knowing when it comes to yeah. this business. Yeah, um, I think it does. Um, I think um, I have a relatively good relationship with pretty much all of my, all the people on my team. And I hope they feel com you know, I hope they all feel com comfortable coming to me uh, when something messes up and so forth. And I'm just telling you uh, again, I don't know for sure because I don't know who's not coming yes. to me. You know what I'm saying? But like my heart is to create an environment where, where, where people can, can express that stuff. Um, but you know, I don't know how you can be authentic without vulnerability, or I don't know how you can be authentic and be actually yes. real without opening up about the things that you're not good at. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one's great at everything. Um, sure. So in order for the synergy of an organization, which theoretically is in place, where one plus one equals something more than two, because you have skills that I don't have, and I have skills that you don't have, but when we come together, you get the best of both worlds. In order, In order for that to play out, we need to be able to, like, candidly and transparently identify points of strength and points of, of weakness. It's like a normal yes. thing. You know, even the, the guy, you know, the best CEO per fortune magazine, who's running some company, he, he's not great at, at everything. Yeah. No human yes. is great at everything. You know what I'm saying? So opening up about what you're not good at allows people to feel more comfortable talking about what they're not good at and opening up. If I'm opening up about something like a failure, well then we all, we all have failures, right? Yes. We all have nerves before a big speech or we all have nerves before a sales presentation or before a job interview. That's a human thing. That's not something that you're ever, you're ever going to get past at any point. So I'm just saying owning those things, talking about them, bringing those to the surface and having conversations about them lets people see that, okay, this is not that serious. Uh, you know, me messing something up, me striking out once is not that big of a deal, you know? Um, oh, yes. so I hope that kind of answered your question, but I found a lot of, a lot of value in being vulnerable because it's, it's authentic and cause it's real. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And you said it so well, and it's the only way to be authentic is to say like, I'm not perfect and it's okay for you not to be perfect. And let's synergize and put our strengths together with our weaknesses to be better together. And I think when you can show that vulnerability and that vulnerability can be part of the of the dynamic of the broader organization, you just save so much time. Like you're not wasting time trying to explain away a mistake. You can own the mistake and we can move forward and fix it versus all the finger pointing that goes along with these other sort of more political organizations where, 
well, shoot, you can't make a mistake because if you do, you're going to get fired. Well, then nobody owns anything. Everyone's blaming the other guy. They're blaming this other team. And that just creates division within the company. And it just really stamps out any possibility for the synergy that is, again, theoretically in place in any organization. Yeah. You, you lose a lot of time playing the blame game. Uh, and I found like when working for other companies, say like, I would take like, it's my fault. Okay, so... If you're not firing me, let's move forward and see how, what we can do to resolve the situation. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it speeds up everything, which is right. great. And Nick, for aspiring leaders, what would be your top three leadership tips? So I think my first leadership tip is that we can all be leaders. And I think you need to just check out, you need to check out what the definition of a leader is. I think a lot of people think a leader is somebody who has a big team reporting to them or somebody who everyone's looking to for guidance or so forth. Like those are definitely things that, that can come along with certain leadership positions. But I would argue that a leader is just somebody who's willing to take responsibility for their impact and willing to be an example for those around them. So that means that from day one, you can be a leader. And from day one, you can step up and get aggressive with the impact that you're trying to have on your company. So whether you're an entry level person or you're somebody who's running a you know, 50,000 person organization, your opportunity for impact is gonna be there, right? It's gonna be up to you to take it. So my first one is to just recognize that you can be a leader. My second um, piece of advice is to lean into the vulnerability piece, right? Um, setting that example to show that, hey, I'm not good at everything, or hey, I'm nervous about this, or hey, I'm really worried about this thing, or hey, I really screwed this up, allows for that layer of authenticity to be part of the equation and increases the odds exponentially that your people are going to raise their hand when something messes up and then you can find out about it and be proactive on it versus trying to be reactive about it when uh, you finally find out about it from a client because someone's been, you know, sweeping it under the rug for the last, you know, X, you know, months, right? Yes. And so I would say, you know, you can be a leader. That's one. Step up and do it. Be that example for people around you. Take responsibility for your impact. Two, lean into the vulnerability, right? Um, admit when you're wrong, say you're sorry when you mess up, um, and really try to be authentic. And that's really about humanizing this entire experience. The people that you work with are not labor units to build your paycheck. They're not uh, labor units for you to climb on top of in pursuit of your own glorification or your goal. Oh, yes. These are human beings who have agreed to come to your place of work every single day in pursuit of some, some collective goal. So I think by humanizing those people and recognizing that they have their own lives, they have their own challenges. You know, I love that saying that says, uh, be kind because everyone is fighting the battle of their lives. You know, nobody gets to their deathbed and on their last breath, they just go, ah, that was easy. Like life is hard for everybody, <laughs> yes. right? People are juggling mortgage and family and responsibilities and parents and family and all that other stuff. And I think recognizing that and recognizing that people have complex lives and pushing toward an authentic engagement profile with your team, not one that's about work-life balance, whatever that means, but really work-life harmony or work-life integration and making some room for people to live out that human experience, again, creates all that goodness, creates those circumstances for success that allow really impactful, really meaningful things to happen inside your organization. So be a leader. Don't be scared to be vulnerable and be authentic with people by humanizing them and recognizing what they're actually going through on a human level. Oh, yes. And that's that's so powerful. And I, it just occurred to me, like, after hearing everything uh, you said, like, in a way, if you would think about your co-workers as being um, 
valuable clients for you, like the number one client you have, it already changes like the relationship because you want to provide services to them and help them succeed because they're also going to help you. It's not taking them for granted. Ah, They're tied here by a paycheck, so they have to take everything I'm doing and agree with it. You got it. And I think, you know, maybe the overarching theme of what I'm talking about is to be a true servant to your people. That's what the name of the game is. If, yes. you, if you're getting a leadership job because now, now you're so excited that you can talk down to your people and you can order them around to get coffee, oh, and make people feel totally. small, you're not a leader. You're a snake. You know what I'm saying? If you want to be a true leader, your job is to create an environment and create circumstances for your people to elevate, for them to be, to put those God-given gifts to work. And the only way you could do that is with that servant's mentality. So I love the way you put that. Your employees are your first client. Your teammates are your first priority as a leader. And if you can take care of those people, then everybody else will be taken care of, not only on the cultural level, not only on the lifeblood of the organization that you're helping to build, but also on the day-to-day interactions and that client experience, which is what we all ultimately care about. And that's why I love your title, Chief Servant. I like it, Nick. I like it so much. Thank you. I also know that you listen to a lot of audiobooks. And you know, books like what would be the book that had the most profound impact on you? Yeah, I would say the biggest one. Well, I don't know about the most. I've read so many great books over the last year. Yeah, a lot. I read a book by this guy named Bob Chapman um, called Everybody Matters. And that's really a great, great book. Um, it's about kind of creating this true work-life family. And this, this guy's built a great company. Um, it's very large. They've built through a lot of acquisitions and they've somehow been able to maintain a really strong culture through their growth. And they do some really interesting things like simple things, man, little things, you know, by trying to create this sort of environment of family at work. Um, and you know, one example is like all these companies that they end up buying, they don't call them acquisitions or mergers or whatever. They call them adoptions. And just that little tweak, right? That that little tweak gives you so much information about where their heart is and what they look at this, exactly. how they look at this thing, right? Um, you know, words have a lot of power and a lot of meaning. And I think if we're intentional about those words, we can help to create the um, the type of environment that we're going to. So, so that's a great one. Um, Everybody matters. Phenomenal. I just can't recommend it enough. Uh, another one that, you know, I just, I just finished it, but I think it's a great book that I'll probably read yearly going forward. It's uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, obviously a very famous book. The guy who wrote it has like the number one post on LinkedIn ever. Um, so this is nothing that like nobody's heard of before, but this book is really packed with like 66 different strategies to improve your emotional intelligence, right? And they've done a bunch of studies and there's a bunch of, you know, uh, reports and stuff about this thing I'm about to say, which is that the number one driver for, for success in life is not intelligence. Intelligence is obviously critical, right? Um, but people with high IQs are only outperforming sort of average IQs, uh, 20% of the time, 70% of the time people with average IQs are outperforming high IQ people. And why is that? Well, there's another factor in this mix and it's, it's this emotional intelligence thing. And that's about, you know, there's a few different sort of things that go into it, but it's about relationship management. It's about social awareness. It's about self awareness and self uh, management. And if you can, you know, so the book's got a ton of great um, strategies under each of those four headings that allow you to start taking some actionable steps to improve your emotional intelligence. And what's nice 
about emotional intelligence as opposed to you know IQ intelligence quotient is that the former EQ is is changeable you can change that but IQ is largely sort of static from when you're born until when you die this other one which is the larger driver of our success and really the most important skill for us as leaders to develop is one that you can work on it's a muscle you can work it out and you can get it better and you can get it stronger and you can become more effective dealing with people and uh, so those two books I just I love them I think it's like a power pack uh, and it just it creates some really interesting um, ideas for leaders to begin implementing immediately in their day-to-day lives Yes, and especially like everybody matters. It's hard to create culture in one company. Trying to have uh, a, a wholesome company culture prevail when you grow for acquisitions and you're basically right. taking other company cultures and melting them in yours. That's really hard to do. <laughs> it's, if, and if they have like a solution for it, I, I'm putting that that high yeah, on my and, list to read. And, you know, I, what I think is, is interesting about it because you're totally right. And I think when you try to, you know, imagine if Pepsi bought Dr. Pepper and they just combined those drinks and here's our new drink. That's a disgusting drink, right? But if you maintain those individual special sauces and you can unify across some values that are going to resonate with everybody, then that gives you kind of the best of both worlds. You know what I'm saying? So there's a way to preserve those individual cultures. You want to keep those those flavor profiles within these individual pockets and these individual teams, like all that stuff is, is healthy and so forth, but there needs to be some higher level order, you know, some higher order, um, you know, purpose statement or values that can be consistent across the organization. And because we're all human beings, those are very easy to find. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants to feel part of something. Everyone wants to feel safe. You know, no, nobody's like, I really want a job that I think I'm going to (laughs) get fired every day. And the boss, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody wants that dignity and respect and everybody, you know, nobody thinks they're an idiot, right? Everybody has gifts that they want to put to work. Everyone's been chewed up and spit out by some boss who was a jerk or some organization that didn't value them. So they're very basic base level type of values and circumstances that you can help create that regardless of the nuance of the market you're in or the nuance of the culture that you've built can supercharge your people. And I think that's what we as leaders need to be able to tap into and replicate if, if we're going to be able to scale organizations that are making a real impact on the world. Love it. Love it, Nick. And if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Nick Gallo. Um, I don't know what my LinkedIn URL is, but that's probably the best way. Uh, you can I'll email me at, at ngallo at compliance line, or you can check out our company at complianceline.com. So you know, we love this kind of stuff. Our goal in life is to make the world a better workplace. We luckily have tools that help us do that. We can do that obviously with our own efforts within the four walls of our organization, but we have tools that help companies do exactly some of the things that I'm talking about, drive that speak up culture, give a voice to their, to their people, make sure that people are respected, right? Make sure that, you know, there's not these risk pockets popping up. Um, so we're lucky to be able to help large organizations who have a much broader reach than we do directly uh, make their work workplaces better. So please reach out anytime. I'm happy to help. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all ears and willing to have a conversation as you can tell. Oh, yes. And after having this conversation with you, I cannot recommend enough uh, compliance line, and especially your, if you can help like just the 24 hour whistleblower line sounds like an amazing service to have inside the company because it's, it's third party. Nobody's going to be 
uh, afraid to whistleblow because they think like, oh, they're they're gonna know who's, <laughs> who who whistleblow right. by, yeah. It's right. it's an amazing service. Just when I heard about it, like, yeah, mind blown. Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you, <laughs> thank Absolutely. you Nick, for being. Thank you, Nick, for being on the show. It's been a true pleasure. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.